Dark Side. I'm your host, Brianna. And I'm Dyson. And this is Dark Adaptation. of Felipe Santos and Terrence Williams. So make sure you've listened to part one before you continue. Yeah. It'd be weird if you didn't. It just would be confusing. It's just not how numbers work. And And I'm not fucking around. We're just jumping right into this. Yeah. Second of all, why? And first of all, why? That's it. Yeah. A. Why. Two. Why. D. Dumb. (laughs) Before we continue, I'll give a recap of what we discussed in part one. Dyson, recap? Want me to recap? Yep. Hey, well, listen, there's this guy prowling around town. He's wearing a blue uniform and a badge, if you know what I mean. And uh, he seems to like people who don't uh, have any documentation on them. Uh, especially no licenses, and he loves to give them rides, but not the fun kind of rides, not the, you know, kind of rides, more <laughs> like the ooh kind of rides. And then the families obviously go, where the fuck are my, is my sibling or loved one? Where's and, my boys? And then you know what's, you know what else? There's usually fucking witnesses, because you can't just go around picking people up, and then they disappear. So, uh, we're looking at Officer Porkins over here, mm-hmm. wondering what his deal is, and he's for some reason covered in powdered sugar, and he said it's delicious. But that doesn't matter, because, you know what? He sounds like kind of an asshole. And Napoleon Dynamite, apparently, if you listen to the recordings. Um... I hope you enjoyed my recap. I'm so impressed by your recap. I loved every second of that. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) It was so much more fun than what I'm going (laughs) to recap. (laughs) Great job. Thanks. Okay, recap from my end now. Fun's over. (laughs) (laughs) Buckle up. Here's the actual case. (laughs) You did pretty good. Mm. This episode was originally going to be a Missing Murdered Mysterious episode, but... As I kept researching, I realized there was so much to talk about that it had to be full-length regular episode. Mm. Actually, two full-length episodes, where I've told you about the disappearance of Terrence Williams and Felipe Santos, two men who vanished three months apart in Naples, Florida. Not only did they vanish, but they did so under eerily similar circumstances. And the main similarity being the person they were last seen with, Deputy Steve Calkins, not Porkins. Deputy Calkins also had similar stories when discussing his interactions with both men. He drove them to Circle K convenience stores and supposedly never saw them again. The problem with Calkins is that he appears to be lying about these interactions. He changes his story often and has many inconsistencies that he was questioned about via a internal affairs investigation. And there's more internal investigations to come. We discussed Marcia, Terrence's mother, and how she was basically spearheading the investigation into her son's disappearance. The police were not helpful, so she was out there doing the work herself. When we left off last week, I told you about her sister, Pam, and how she had spoken to the dispatch officer about getting in touch with Calkins so they could talk about what the cemetery employees had seen, which was Calkins arresting Terrence, driving off with him, returning alone, 
and moving his Cadillac out into the middle of the street to be towed as, quote, abandoned. Dispatch said Calkins has no idea what they're talking about. There's no record of an arrest, so the employees are obviously wrong. And as I said last week, just because there's no record doesn't mean it didn't happen. But Marcia and the rest of the family do not give up. They keep pushing to the point Calkins' superior is asking him why there's no record of his interaction with Terrence. Calkins is told to make an incident report where he miraculously remembers his interactions with Terrence. So that's where we will pick up from. It's like a toddler getting caught in a lie. <laughs> Did you write on the wall? No. Why is th that crayon in your hand? Oh. I was going to eat that. Uh -huh. How come it's in your writing? Oh, this crayon! Oh! oh. Calkins' incident report states that he first came into contact with Terrence at 12.15 p.m. on January 12th, 2004, after noticing that his Cadillac was having car troubles. 12.15 p.m. does not match what the cemetery employees witnessed. They had said that Terrence was pulled over between 9 and 10 a.m. Calkins was later disproven. When investigators placed him at a condo building during the time that he claims to have pulled Terrence over, so the cemetery employees were likely correct. Kark troubles? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, that doesn't make sense anyway. I mean, like, the guy doesn't have a license and he's, like, was drinking the night before, night, quote unquote, before. Mm. So he's not flagging a cop down for help. Well, he just says he pulled him over because he noticed there was car troubles. And we'll get into what he noticed, apparently. Okay, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, also, even to go off of what you're saying, 12.15, that means that Terrence was up for fucking hours. Yeah. At least if he was done partying at 6 a.m. and started driving, between 9 and 10 a.m. to be pulled over is way more reasonable than 12 yeah, and the the call to your bed is way stronger. No way you're fucking around. <laughs> Six hours after you've left the party. Yeah, that's absurd. Car troubles, like you're saying, that also don't add up. Mm -hmm. Calkins will later say the Cadillac was smoking, but the car oh, it was a bad influence. Yeah, so it was smoking heavily. <laughs> <laughs> so he says he saw this car driving, and there was smoke coming out of it, and that's why he waved him down flagged him over to pull over so you could see what's going on that's what he says but the the car physically showed no signs of trouble because remember the family got the car back they found it at the, I was gonna say, the you start that bad boy back up again yeah it had a new engine and no witnesses reported smoke or car troubles of any sort so dumb so after seeing the car troubles Calkins claimed he motioned for the driver to pull over and they did so into the cemetery parking lot Hawkins claims Terrence said he was late for work and asked for a ride to a nearby Circle K. Hawkins said he couldn't drive him, but would call him a cab instead. Terrence allegedly said he could not afford a cab and asked him again to please give him a ride. And Marcia literally, like, uh, refresher Marcia is Terrence's mother. She literally laughs at this. She's like, Terrence didn't like the cops. He's not about to be begging for a ride from one. Mm-hmm. Calkins finally agrees to drive Terrence to the Circle K because he's going to be late for work. 
and he claims he drove him to this Circle K because Terrence was a nice guy and he was, quote, clean. What a dick. I don't even know what that means. He's clean? Like a... like a. He lo- I looked at him. He seemed clean. Yeah. It's just, it's just freaky. It's, it's, it's like, how super... close were you to, like, examine him and be like, he's clean? I think, I think he just means, like, not a drug addict. And she, I think it's just super... It's just gross. Grimy undertones there. Yeah. Calkins warned Terrence that his tags were expired, dropped him off at the south side of the Circle K, and then returned to Terrence's card to get the paperwork in order. When he opened the glove box, he discovered that there was no registration, and he claims he then had the Cadillac towed because he assumed it was stolen and would be left abandoned. So, many things about this report are suspicious. Yeah. First, throughout Calkins' incident report that he finally filed, he refers to Terrence as a suspect and claims his last name as unknown because he didn't know it since the guy didn't have ID. And we know this is a straight-up lie because there is a record of him calling dispatch that day to ask for a search for any warrants on a Terrence Williams. So he knew his full name. Mm-hmm. This is where we will play another uh, clip for you. Last name? Williams. Thomas Delia. Date of birth? Four. One. Seventy-five. Black male. So you'll notice in the clip that Calkins also gives a birth date for Terrence. He says four one seventy-five. So April 1st, 1975. Now, this birthday is very significant because, first of all, it's wrong. His real birth date is January 17th. But Terrence's family says that he doesn't like cops and he would often give his birth date as a fake one. And it was like <laughs> sort of a joke because it's April 1st, which is April Fool's. <laughs> so that's so ballsy. It's so it's like. It is, yeah. but it's like just the perfect piece of this puzzle here. Because yeah. Calkins is saying, like, I don't know whose car this is. No idea. No idea who it could possibly be. And even so, I interacted with this guy named Terrence. I don't know his last name. You just heard on that call that he says Williams. Mm-hmm. He knows Terrence's last name. Yeah. And he gives a birthday that's not only wrong, but is one everyone knows Terrence gives because it's funny to him. It's April Fool's. That's great. That's on recording. <laughs> it's so great. So this means that Calkins knew a lot more about Terrence than he was letting on, and his interaction wasn't as brief as he wanted everyone to think. Mm-hmm. Now, Calkins didn't tell Dispatch why he was asking for a warrant check, and he failed to mention that he had pulled Terrence over. Stupid, because why would you lie about something so easily provable? If, yeah, that's, in your report. that's wild to me that there's like... Like you're not even thinking. recording and he was doing this? It's so stupid. Yeah. And... Another thing that stands out is why is he referring to Terrence as a suspect? Because like he's referring to Terrence as a suspect in the incident report that he gave. But in his own telling of events, Terrence didn't do anything wrong. He just says that the car was smoking and he pulled him over and Terrence needed a ride. So mm-hmm. why are you calling him a suspect? Well, he's painting it as a suspect now. So he looks less like he's the bad guy in the situation. And then he's like, well, the car was probably stolen and this guy's a criminal and you know, you're looking for him like he's innocent. No one should be mad at all. 
Like that's, that's even though if you dig really deep into everything I was doing in relation to Terrence, you'll keep finding inconsistencies and me contradicting myself. Yeah. Like this this guy looks, he, this cop is shady as fuck. Also, did Terrence even have a shift at that point? I was wondering that because he's like, oh, well, like, and he said he had a shift. And so I dropped him off at the Circle K, which I, it, that's odd anyway. But like, did he even have a shift? Um, I believe later that day he did have a shift, but his shift would have been at Pizza Hut. Terrence did not work at a Circle K. Yeah, this is. Yeah. So I was like, that's one, a, if he even had a shift. coming in my notes, yeah. So like, why did he know he had a goddamn shift? If he mm -hmm. did, if it was such a brief interaction. Exactly. And also, like, why Circle K again? <laughs> right? Okay. Also, I think I talk about this later. Actually, I'll save it for later. Okay. That's okay. I'll save it for later so it makes sense. I don't throw everything off. Sure. So the second thing about the report that's suspicious is that the Circle K Calkins says he dropped Terrence off at is only four miles away from the Circle K he claims to have dropped Felipe off at. And both are on Immokalee Road. Third, Calkins says Terrence asked for a ride to work, but Terrence did not work at a Circle K. He worked at Pizza Hut. So yeah. there you go. You're on to that one. Yeah. Fourth, Terrence's family went to that Circle K to check out the surveillance footage. And wouldn't you know it, Terrence is nowhere to be seen. This Circle K, as opposed to the one that Felipe was supposedly taken to, this one did have an exterior camera. So they reviewed all of that footage um, and it pointed towards the south side, the street that apparently he was dropped off at. Mm -hmm. A cop car never shows up. Terrence never shows up. He did not take him there. Fifth, the one call Calkins made to dispatch shows that he called the Cadillac in as abandoned and pretended like he had no idea who the car belonged to. And he told dispatch that the car was blocking the road and needed to be towed. But the witnesses from the cemetery saw him move that car there. Sixth, in this dispatch call, he's all chummy and jovial and eventually refers to the car as a, quote, homie Cadillac while giving a horrible gangsta type impression. So we'll play that here for you. Oh, good. I got a homie Cadillac on the side of the road here. Signal 11, signal 52, nobody around. Maybe he's out there in the cemetery. <laughs> Come back in his car, I'll be gone. <laughs> so the first thing is I apologize for the quality of the audio. We've done what we can with it. Yeah. But, yeah. Oh, woof. And the guy thought that was the funniest right? shit. He thought that was so funny. So why would Calkins stereotype the driver like this? It gives it away that he knew that the driver of this vehicle was black, which means he interacted with him at some point. And it's just so gross to hear. Like it's cringy and it comes off like they're both having so much fun. And if you're looking at it through the lens of Calkins, like this is like some sort of sick game to him. Like he's having the best time of his life. Yeah. And I was going to say, like, I know that people are going to be like, well, you know, okay, well, maybe he was just being a dick and making the, like... He is a dick. Like, maybe he was just straight up just being racist. And, mm -hmm. like, I think he's 100% fucking racist. Yeah. But here's here's my point. If he was racist, he came across that car and did that, I'd be like, yeah. But he saw it in a cemetery. Mm -hmm. And if you walk across a cemetery and you see a Cadillac, mm -hmm. my first thought is, old guy visiting his wife. Mm -hmm. Right? 
so mm, pretty strong it's also just yeah. indication that he knows the driver of this car plus if i think of like a a big old vehicle like that again let's bring it back to napoleon dynamite i think of like pedro's cousins <laughs> who are in that car yeah and they're not black no nope. so like you knew this guy was black yeah and the way like you said the dispatcher just thinks this is the funniest thing he's ever heard i would have just been like so fuck it. i'd be like why are you doing this? and he's laughing and he's like oh, maybe he'll come back and find his car is gone like these two are just dirtbags. It's fucking gross. Yeah. You'll also hear in that that he says signal eleven, signal fifty-two in his stupid way. Mm-hmm. And those signals mean something along the lines of like car abandoned in place and assistance is needed, something like that. Yeah, they vary, right? By yeah. location and stuff. Yeah. So yeah. that's how we know that he's telling dispatch that this car is abandoned and he it needs to be towed because that's not like verbatim what he's saying because he's giving signal 11 and signal 52 mm-hmm. but that is basically what it breaks down to he's giving douchebag cop actually. right <laughs> right just the way he, a homie cadillac I man fuck you cadillacs are cool too like god damn it it's just so and this was a 83 like it's a old vintage cadillac it's probably fucking sick and he's just brand a, new engine in it yeah anyway it's just <laughs> absolute piece of shit so that's a list of six things wrong with this supposed version of events that he gives in his incident report mm-hmm. and there somehow is still more inconsistencies to come to light this guy's full of them yeah this guy fucks up everything uh-huh. marcia continued to pressure the sheriff's office for answers and information about her missing son but they were of no help she did everything she could to get Terrence's name out there, including contacting the media. And Marcia even wrote a letter to the editor, which was published in the paper. And I don't know which paper, but it was a local paper. Mm-hmm. And this is where Felipe and Terrence's cases officially intersect. Because upon reading that letter to the editor in the paper about Terrence's disappearance and how Marcia wants fucking answers for this Calkins guy. Mm-hmm. An employee from the Mexican consulate in Miami contacted Marcia to tell her about how Felipe Santos had gone missing just three months prior under eerily similar circumstances. Whoa, hold on. Fucking well done for the employee of the consulate mm-hmm. to be that present of mind, to mm-hmm. be like, hmm. That's fucking almost miraculous that he was just like, hey. And that goes back to what I was saying in part one about how Felipe's cases case was not his disappearance not on the tv not in papers nowhere no flyers nothing mm-hmm. did not come to light until another man of color went missing and that was terrence yeah it takes a whole ass pattern for someone to give a fuck apparently so, so as soon as this employee at the mexican consulate consulate saw terrence missing and reading marcia's letter about how there's this guy who won't answer for it and whatever she actually called marcia and marcia talks about how she was so happy she was getting this phone call and she was thinking like before she answered like oh my god they found my baby they found him they found him she answers and here's this horrifying news that this guy's displaying a pattern Mm -hmm. but yeah it's just wild so of course people want answers they're like hold up terrence's case is already really weird it's stinking yeah now there's another guy who three months earlier went missing and no one knows anything about it no one's talking about it 
So they wanted to know what happened to Felipe and Terrence and why the last person they're both seen with is a sheriff's deputy seemingly getting away scot-free. With the building pressure, Calkins was officially interviewed and underwent a voluntary polygraph test. The first polygraph was issued January 23rd, 2004, and the goal was to clear Calkins in the investigation. There were inconsistencies, backtracking, news stories, and blatant lies in his answers, which I'm sure at this point is very shocking. <laughs> Among the inconsistencies I previously mentioned, he added a couple more. Calkins claimed that he returned to the Cadillac and discovered that the proper registration was not in the car and that he felt deceived. So he called the Circle K from his work issued cell phone and asked to speak to Terrence. The clerk allegedly told him over the phone that Terrence didn't work there. However, further investigation revealed Calkins' cell phone never made a call to the Circle K. Employees also verified no call was ever received. So then it was at this point that he changed his story, saying that he didn't call. He actually went into the store. Or wait, maybe he called from his personal cell phone. Why would you lie about their about you calling the Circle K on your work phone? Know that they can now check the records and they're like, oh, no, you didn't. Yeah. So even if and then you lie again. Yep. Saying it was a personal phone as if they can't check those fucking records. Exactly. Plus, on Circle K's end, they checked those records. And Circle K is like, no. no Shows no call no came calls. in. calls. Doesn't matter if it was from your personal or your work. No calls came in. So then he's saying, like, I must have went in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we definitely didn't see you on the camera. And all these things are coming into question. And Calkins is just going, you know what? I just can't remember because the day was so uneventful to me. Oh, my God. So frustrating. So in his answers, he also says that he felt deceived because there was no registration in the glove box. Glove blocks? No. Glove box. But when the car was picked up from the tow yard by Terrence's family, all documentation was in the in the glove box. So in part one, I had said that Terrence was driving this car that was unregistered. So I don't I don't know if um, the car was registered, but he just shouldn't be driving it because he doesn't have a license. And maybe because he doesn't have a license in part one, I, I worded it wrong that he, the car also wasn't registered. Mm -hmm. But if Terrence's family is saying that it was a registered vehicle and it was in the glove box, I'll believe them. Yeah. And I think that I misunderstood. So he, it was a registered vehicle, but he did not have a license, which I did say, but. Oh, okay. Do you know yeah, what I'm I saying? Have no, I gotcha. Yeah. So, I have no idea how that works. Because I assumed you needed a license to be able to register it anyway. But Florida, who knows? It's not the point. Florida 2004, maybe it's different. Also, we're Canadian. <laughs> yeah. But so basically, um, I'll backtrack on what I said. Car is registered. Terrence is not a licensed driver. Mm -hmm. And in this case, Calkins is trying to say, I checked that glove box and I felt deceived because there's no registration. And he told me there would be. Yet Terrence's family gets the vehicle back and all the documentation is there. So the polygraph test was inconclusive and Calkins could uh, not be cleared. Probably because he repeatedly answered, I don't know. I don't remember. Who slipped the, the guy a 20 to be like, just give him inconclusive. Well, I mean, at this point, it's still being investigated internally. 
I I hate that. It moves away from there, but this is the first polygraph he undergoes, and it was voluntary, and it was by one of those um, PIOs. So, mm-hmm. um, Calkins, so how it works, it seems, with these polygraph tests, it's like, you know, the in this case, the PIO, the public information officer, goes into a room, an interrogation room, sits across from Calkins, and it appears that it starts with talking. Mm-hmm. random questioning talking just, just getting get him a, comfortable a on his regular levels yeah plus you can't just jump right into a polygraph so you're talking to him you're getting his normal me- measurements his normal reactions to questions and stuff then you start recording the test and then after that there's also a post conversation just so you like you're saying you can get these measurements and balance it out mm-hmm. so the recorded test is inconclusive but in the post interview and questioning is when he started to add how angry he was that the family was basically putting him on blast and going to the media and fighting so hard and going about this in this roundabout way that's making them look bad. He's like, why didn't they come to me? No one's tried talking to me and crying about it. Yet so many people did try to talk to him. Marcia various media outlets they all tried to get statements and interviews from him but he declined every time refused to speak to anyone ignored phone calls all of that so he's just mm-hmm. this idiot who's trying to play the victim in front of like his colleagues basically yeah five days after the first polygraph test and questioning marcia filed an internal affairs complaint against Hawkins. her main question was why didn't Hawkins arrest terrence and that's a really good question. So in looking back on this encounter that they had, she counted six violations that could have gotten Terrence arrested or ticketed at the very least. Mm-hmm. But nothing like that happened. So why didn't any of that happen is a really good question. Calkins mm-hmm. had previously said it was because he was a, quote, nice and clean guy. That's so creepy. And I and again, I ask, what does that even mean? Yep. Like, you don't know him. You don't know Terrence. You don't know who he is. He could be anybody. He could have literally just m- murdered his whole family or robbed a bank or something. Like, you don't know him. So just because you think he's nice and clean. Yeah. Like, like what it, are yeah, you talking it about? It doesn't make sense at all. I, I'm still convinced he means clean, like not on drugs. Because, like, I, I was also going, like, well, is it record? And I'm like, well, no, he's got that one. I don't. The, the, the thing is, I don't know, though, because I don't know what source it, it was. But I swear someone was saying that Calkins had said he's clean despite his dreadlocks or something. Ew. Something like it might have been in the last ride, that podcast I was listening to. I mean, if you look at our sources, you can find it eventually. Mm hmm. But that's why I'm like, I don't know what he means by clean, because I swear to God, he specifically mentions his dreadlocks. That's really fucking weird. I mean, I I hope someone like you would you would have hoped that someone at the precinct was just like, oh, dude, I think like, your favorite word is precinct. He what? I think your favorite word is precinct. Yeah. <laughs> But, like, come on. Like, if you were working with this guy and you started getting a whiff of this, like, wouldn't you just want to beat him up in the locker room? 
I mean, I would. And there was it seemingly like a few of the people he worked with did feel that way. Like, well, this guy's gross. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Marcia also wanted clarification on the inconsistencies in Cotkin's statement, which, like, same. A few weeks after the first inconclusive polygraph, the sheriff's office asked Cotkin's to return for a second one in February 2004. This polygraph was actually part of the internal affairs investigation, which was led by the FBI. So that first polygraph examination that he underwent was basically just a uh, initiative, I guess, by the Collier County Sheriff's Office. Mm-hmm. Whereas after that first polygraph is when Marcia actually filed that complaint. So it's now an official investigation and it's being led by the FBI. So the focus of this exam was to determine Calkins was telling the truth about dropping Terrence off at that Circle K. This time it was concluded that he was telling the truth. But pre- and post-exam interview questions left investigators just as confused thanks to his inconsistent answers. So the pre- and post-exam interview questions is what I had just explained mm-hmm. about how you're hooked up, they're getting your rhythm and all that. Yeah. So those conversations left whoever was questioning him in the FBI like... Not sure what to make of this guy. Yeah. So it sounds like it sounds like he was making himself nervous and all psyched out when they were trying to get his goddamn levels. I really don't know. And then he just mellowed. Then he just answered the other questions. And then. Well, even if you think about that first polygraph and how it was after the fact when they're technically off the record that is going on and on about how he's a victim because the family's just trying to make him look bad in the media and whatever. Mm -hmm. It could have been. Something like that, maybe, where the FBI agent uh, thought his conversation was weird. Mm-hmm. I really can't say what it was because I don't know. So I don't know if it was he was trying to make himself seem nervous or not nervous or whatever. Cannot speculate there. Yeah. But whatever it was, the it, it left investigators confused. They're like, I don't even know what yeah, to make of this guy. Gotta, that's got to be a fucking difficult task for mm-hmm. an agent from the FBI to be like, I'm confused I by don't... this interaction. This guy's a freak. plus also like when he doesn't know what to answer or he doesn't want to implicate himself he just keeps resorting on i don't know so that might have also complicated the test or the feelings of the fbi agent because he might have just kept going like i don't know or i don't remember Mm -hmm. and what are you supposed to do with that you can't you can't feed off of that at all it's just it just ends you don't know yeah so now it's april 2004 and what is that three months since Terrence has disappeared and the internal affairs investigation is still happening and investigators need to further clarify what Calkins did after dropping Terrence off at that Circle K because the sheriff's office was struggling to put together a timeline of Calkins movements. So after a third polygraph exam, it was concluded he was being deceptive and he failed the test. Finally, we got there. And at this point, investigators are just spinning their wheels and going in circles, though, because they're like, okay, one test, inconclusive. Next test, truth. This test, deceptive. Yeah, you you ran the gambit. You can't even, and it's not like you can use fucking any of it to begin with. What are you supposed to do with this? Nothing. So alongside the polygraph exams, investigators also took to tracking Calkins with a GPS monitor. 
inspecting his patrol car for evidence. They searched the water and woods in the areas where Terrence and Felipe were last seen. Nothing came of any of this. Despite his deception on basically all fronts when it comes to Terrence's disappearance, Calkins wasn't suspended from duty until two months after that final polygraph test. So June 2004. With pay, I bet. Cannot confirm i don't know but i'm just saying typically (laughs) (laughs) calkins was ordered to give up his badge patrol car weapons and keys he was suspended pending quote investigations of allegations concerning personal conduct while on duty unquote very sanitized way of putting it in august 2004 the internal affairs investigation of calkins and his interactions with terrence williams concluded The investigation determined 23 instances where Calkins was, quote, untruthful, misleading, and gave contradictory testimonies, unquote. Ultimately, the sheriff's office sustained three allegations against Calkins, which were, quote, untruthfulness, noncompliance with rules and regulations, and conduct unbecoming of an officer, unquote. And with that, Calkins was actually fired from the Collier County Sheriff's Department. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. In October 2004, a grand jury was formed to try to get to the bottom of Calkins' inconsistencies. But he refused to talk, so he wasn't indicted because there's no proof of a crime. They're just trying to get to the bottom of it. But there's no proof yet. So mm-hmm. he was like, I don't want to be a part of that. I'm not going to talk. And they couldn't do anything. Yeah. It's also important to note that Calkins has always denied any involvement in the disappearance of both Felipe Santos and Terrence Williams. He claims that he is the victim of a horrible coincidence and bad luck. He's never been arrested. He's never been charged. And he's never been identified as a suspect by the Collier County Sheriff's Department. He's only been identified as a person of interest. In fact, he's the only person of interest, and no one has ever been criminally charged with a crime connected to the men's sudden and suspicious disappearance. Jesus Christ. Naturally, everyone is left with so many questions, mainly, what the fuck happened (laughs) to Terrence and Felipe? Yeah. And the strongest theory as to what happened, obviously, is that Calkins is responsible. Yeah. Collier County sits on the northern-ish edge of a flooded grassland region known as the Everglades. And it's a known dumping ground for trash, unwanted pets, and even dead bodies. Some people believe that Calkins either disposed of their bodies in the Everglades or that we we briefly touched on this in part one. Mm -hmm. He did the Starlight tour kind of thing where he drove Felipe and Terrence out there as a form of punishment for driving illegally. Mm-hmm. And remember, when he pulled over Felipe, multiple people did hear him talk about how he was tired of the shit. Yeah, he had a like weird gripe about it. Mm-hmm. Like, usually they're not going to just roll up on a situation and start ranting about how they hate the situation. It's tired of shit. I'm tired of people driving without a license, blah, blah, blah. So speculated that maybe Calkins drove the men out to the middle of nowhere in the Everglades to drop them off, forcing them to walk back to town. And by doing so, you seal their fate because this area is harsh. It is rife with harsh environments, dangerous animals like alligators. And if this environment was to kill you, they 
there wouldn't really be a sign of the men's remains because alligators, for example, would just consume all traces of them. Yeah, wildlife just takes its course. Exactly. Another theory is that Calkins did not kill the men, but instead handed them over to someone else. So whether it's a trafficking operation or something equally as sinister, people wonder if Circle K is the drop-off point or maybe even a code word for where both men actually ended up and if people were involved, more people were involved than just Calkins. Mm-hmm. And that kind of goes with what I was thinking earlier when we were talking about Circle K and it reminded me of something. Mm-hmm. And... Our most recent episode of Missing, Murdered, Mysterious. Was that loud? My, my I didn't whole, hear anything. Oh, my whole throat just gurgled. Oh, no, I didn't hear anything. <laughs> so um, it brings me into, it makes me think of our most recent episode of Missing, Murdered, Mysterious about Pepita, Madeline Redhair, and how her boyfriend had said that him and his dad just went to a Circle K. When they came back, Pepito was gone. Oh, right. Yeah. And I'm like, and that's the only time he has talked about a Circle K or that a Circle K was ever mentioned. And it's in relation to her just disappearing because they went to a Circle K and she was gone. And there's a whole theory about her being trafficked. And like, I don't want to get super conspiratorial, but like, I'm just like, that's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. Unless like there's a Circle K every five feet. But I mean, it was just creepy because it's like. This theory is in relation to human trafficking, mm-hmm. and Pepita is potentially a victim of human trafficking. Yeah. So it's eerie. I was just like, whoa. <laughs> There's also a theory that speculates on Calkins' sexuality. So <laughs> maybe he was bisexual or a closeted gay man and made unwanted sexual propositions to the men when they were in his patrol car and Felipe and Terrence were not known to be gay or bisexual. So when the propositions were turned down, Calkins was angry and killed them. Okay. I feel like that one's just, you got to wait for something to be there before. (laughs) Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Just a theory. Yeah. Not saying it's one I lean towards, but Mm -hmm. it's been put out there. Yeah. Another theory suggests that these were straight up racially motivated crimes, a.k.a. hate crimes. Mm-hmm. Calkins is white, Felipe is Latino, and Terrence is black. So this theory was investigated that maybe it was some sort of hate crime, but again, nothing's proven. Because... I mean, you'd, yeah, you'd never be able to prove motive because this guy lies through his fucking teeth, but <laughs> he's definitely fucking racist. Clearly, homie like, Cadillac. He... Yeah, <laughs> like what the fuck? There are many theories out there, and no matter how you slice them, the person at the center of all of them is former Deputy Steve Calkins. Unless, of course, you speak to some people in law enforcement who are adamant that the men disappeared on their own volition. But it's also interesting and important to note that only some of them say that. Only some of the people in this sheriff's department say that they disappeared on their own. Mm -hmm. Because there's a good portion of Calkins' own former colleagues seemingly believing that he could be responsible. Yeah, that's a real bad sign. Yeah, so there's this divided opinions in law enforcement. And I think that says a lot that some people he worked with thought that he did something or was at least capable of doing something. Mm-hmm. To the point that when he moved out of Naples, because he did, because this was just so prevalent, mm-hmm. that he just 
left Florida. So he moved out of Naples and police went to the new homeowners asking if they could search the property. And the homeowners said, yeah. And the sheriff's office dug up the backyard and everything. Uh, they even dug up some concrete that Calkins had poured, mm-hmm. hoping to find evidence of Terrence and or Felipe. But sadly, nothing was found. But again, why do that? Yeah. Like, your own department that worked with this man thinks took him i just want to point out it took him not being a cop anymore for them to do that though he moved away yeah, yeah. so that's what, that's what i mean when i, I say think it's because there the wasn't line bullshit i but also there's no proof of anything there's no grounds so like it's not like the sheriff's department could have went to the a judge and, and asked for a search warrant mm-hmm. to do this because there's no grounds for it it's just yeah. hearsay at this point. So they would never have been able to get a warrant to go to his property and do that. Mm-hmm. So it took him leaving and them just basically asking permission from the new homeowners because they didn't need a warrant if the homeowners yeah. were like, yeah, go ahead, which they did do. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why. They'd be like, you're going to put it back though, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they did. Yeah, I know. The men's disappearance in cases went largely unnoticed for years. In 2012... A number of big name programs started covering their cases, which propelled their stories to a national level. The men's cases caught the attention of advocates and celebrities like Tyler Perry, who actually offered a $200,000 reward for information in connection with the cases. Mm. He also produces, uh, nope, he's also a producer for the show Never Seen Again on Paramount Plus. And oh, yeah. Mm hmm. Forgot about that. It's such a, such a out of left field type thing, though. You would never expect that. Well, I would have never expected that. And it's just because it was after random programs like I don't know Dateline and stuff like that were like doing more and more true crime stories, and one of them was this disappearance of mm-hmm. Felipe and Terrence. And Tyler Perry said that he was basically just flipping through channels and happened to see it, and was so impacted by it. So he started offering that reward. He got very involved with other, not very involved with other missing people cases, very involved mainly with Terrence and then kind of uh, also Felipe just because they're lumped together, mm-hmm. but was so inclined to help create the show Never Seen Again. I fucking love when actors do that when they're, mm-hmm. they're like, you know, they're sitting pretty, they're sitting pretty pretty. You know, <laughs> pretty, and pretty. then and then they just like find a cause that just really resonated for them some for some reason, and they're just like, you know what, I can, so I will. Like Ashton does. Kutcher, like does the whole human trafficking. trafficking thing, yeah. Yeah, put aside his entire life to focus on that, which I also think is dope because he it's just sick. created a network of truckers who are basically just neighborhood watch across the country. They're like Hell's Angels on eighteen wheels. I think you just made their new ad campaign. <laughs> That's sick. Because there's a lot of like Hell's Angels is obviously like yeah. a catch all phrase, but there's so many different groups of Hell's Angels and yeah. a the, lot of the biker gangs that'll come out to gangs, clubs. There's I think a, clubs in this instance will come out to like support victims. and Yeah. And there's also a lot of instances if you have a Hell's Angels, wherever you live, if there's a heavy presence, a lot of the time they're actually like neighborhood watch basically yeah. and a go-to for people who are victims of any sort of sexual abuse or 
anything like that. Mm-hmm. And Hell's Angels will not fuck around with that. No. <laughs> Hell's Angels is like, nope. If I hear your diddlin or anything like that, fucking on the shit list, which is beautiful to me. <laughs> uh, I need to look more into Ashton Kutcher and his <laughs> band of truckers because that's sick, actually. It is. It's pretty dope. There's a name for that. It's not just band of truckers. Whatever. I've decided. Great name for a, for a band, actually. Uh, tune in next week for <laughs> Ashton Kutcher and his impact on the campaign to end human trafficking. <laughs> Patreon exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> Who are we? We don't have a Patreon. No. Is there anyone even listening to the show? Hello? <laughs> Is anyone listening to me? So Tyler Perry, he was actually the one that put Marcia in touch with a prominent civil rights attorney, and this man is named Benjamin Crump. Oh my God! I don't know this if it's straight cr- out of a Dickens novel. Yeah, it's cr- it's spelt Crump, but I don't know if you just say Crump. But either way, if it's Benjamin Crump or Benjamin Crump, yeah. it's still perfect. And. Tyler Perry in that episode of Never Seen Again, where it mainly talks about um, Terrence Williams, he says something along the lines of how, like, Benjamin Crump is like a hero or like a legend in the world of civil rights for black people. Okay. Something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And he's like the go to the number one. He's who you would want. It, when dealing... He's like the Muhammad Ali of lawyers. For black civil rights. Yeah. And so that's who he puts Marcia in touch with. And on August 30th, 2018, Marcia Williams, with the help of Benjamin Crump, <laughs> filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Calkins. In 2020, the case entered non-binding arbitration, which basically means it was a deposition to answer questions related to the lawsuit. The arbitrator ultimately entered a non-binding judgment in favor of Calkins. Although an appeal was attempted, a judge dismissed the case and ruled that Marcia Williams had to pay Calkins over $5,000 for costs related to the lawsuit. Yeah. This fucking family can't win they got tyler perry on their side they got benjamin crumb slash crump mm-hmm. and still Calkins is getting away scot-free it's fucking ridiculous they're just taking one blow after the other yep so even though the wrongful death lawsuit was dismissed benjamin crump is bringing it to the civil rights division of the department of justice because he wants to keep fighting that mm-hmm. now regardless of what you believe happened to Felipe and Terrence, we can say for sure that the police did not take either man's disappearance seriously. They did not initially see them as victims. A thorough investigation was not done for Felipe and took far too long to get underway for Terrence. Mm-hmm. Investigators made biased assumptions about both men. These men were failed and their families were failed. Felipe has a daughter who is 20 years old by now think about that yep never got to know her father does not have any answers as to where felipe is what happened to him who's responsible none of that 20 Mm -hmm. 20 year old yep 
Even though Terrence has been missing for nearly 20 years, Marcia stays in Naples. She stated it wouldn't be right to leave her son behind. And she keeps his memory alive by reminding people that he was not just a face on a poster. This is a man that vanished under incredibly suspicious circumstances. And she says that she will forever fight for answers. She said she wants the truth to come out lawsuit or no lawsuit she just needs to know what happened to her son and she is not giving up until there's a sense of closure and like felipe who has a 20 year old daughter terence has four children who miss their father and they deserve answers he was only 27 when he vanished and he missed out on watching his four children grow up and lead their own lives and everything and they deserve answers as to what the hell happened to their dad Mm-hmm. There has been no verified sightings of either Terrence or Felipe since they were last seen with Calkins. And actually, in 2009, Terrence was officially declared dead. And neither man's bodies have ever been recovered. There's no sign of them in any way. And it's sad to say, but disappearances of people of color, especially men, go widely underreported. And you can hear all about other BIPOC cases on our now monthly segment missing murdered mysterious and i mean that's the frustrating sad cases of terrence william and felipe santos who are still missing like it's so unsatisfying but that's just how it ends never heard of a case where it's so dirty it's dirty it is obvious it's like screaming in your face the answers and it's right there and then as soon as that like everything that happened and then it was just like i think the the fucking cops basically just fucking not only were they like prejudiced in their entire approach to the to both in both situations they immediately blamed the people who've gone missing Mm -hmm. immediately immediately then they stalled like fucking crazy then they investigated themselves, sort of. They basically protected this fucking guy. Mm-hmm. And then and then when it when it was all said and done, like they just kind of washed their fucking hands of it. Mm-hmm. Like it's pretty fucking clear. It's so I mean, clear. I can't say he did it. I can't say he did it. We can't say, and like I even mentioned, he's never been named an official suspect. He's only a person of interest. He's denied all connection to their disappearances it's gone through all of these different arbitrations and lawsuits and whatever and he's being cleared or just whatever horse you up his fucking ass and a pee for a fucking brain yeah and he just got protected by the system is what it sounds like absolutely yeah imagine that felipe santos and terrence williams were I don't know, young white college students yeah. who were put into the back of the cruiser and never seen or heard from again. Oh, can you imagine what news. the fate of Calkins would be if he had taken young white college students away and that was the last time they were ever seen? And yeah. you have all of this, these inconsistent polygraph tests, these weird internal investigations. There's no way we would be where we are today. No. But because Terrence Williams is a black man with, at the time, potentially a warrant or a previous warrant or whatever, 
and Felipe Santos is an undocumented Latino, it's easy for the police to just be like, hmm, yeah. they're missing on their own they volition made, and we don't give a fuck. Yeah, they immediately just paint it to the public as like, look, these were suspicious characters and they're shady. And it's like, no, they weren't. They weren't. Like, they weren't. Like they, that That guy who, who um, Felipe, Felipe is a fucking gem because yeah, there's, you want him in America, <laughs> like desperately. Mm-hmm. He's doing farmhand work and construction he's a family dude and he's he's quote unquote clean you no, know that was that i was know Terrence. that was the other guy but like <laughs> i know i mean when i say it i mean like clean like clean cut like yep. this guy's like straight as an arrow mm-hmm. right like i'd want him here honestly the like, only negative things you can even pick apart with these two men is that they're driving without a license yeah, and that's like the worst that's part. not even a fair thing to put on them because yeah. think about how many people do that. How many people drive without proper licenses? Mm-hmm. It, it just, that's the, the nature of it sometimes. Yeah, they should Other get a, than that, a, a fine or booked for it, sure. But like, they disappeared. They are Not, gone. No one deserved that. And the last person both these men are seen with is a deputy. A member of law enforcement. Which is terrifying. That is yeah. a member of a law enforcement. Yep. Put these men in the back of their car and they were never seen again. Yeah. Imagine being legally obligated to comply with your kidnapper. Horrifying. And yeah. you're a undocumented Latino man who barely speaks English. God knows how that was going down. Yeah. And you are a black man who does not have a proper driver's license. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's not a good situation horrible and that's and that's just that's just it we don't know mm-hmm. it's infuriating it's upsetting it's gross and Hawkins obviously knows exactly what happened to those two men allegedly mm-hmm. allegedly <sighs> i've referenced it a few times throughout this episode but i highly recommend you listen to the podcast the last ride um they do a very comprehensive telling of felipe santos and Terrence Williams' disappearances. It was obviously a huge part of my research. This podcast was just done amazingly. Uh, The people who write and produce this podcast are a team that has been following their disappearances basically since day one. They're like native to the Florida and Naples area. And the source and all the sources used are available on our website, darkadaptationpodcast.ca. And again, while you're there, you can support us by buying us a coffee to fuel our research, or you can buy an embroidered patch if you're so inclined. They are beautiful. Mm -hmm. And if you cannot support monetarily, that's okay. Please make sure you've rated the show and left a review if the platform allows for that. And thanks to everyone who's been leaving us reviews and sharing the show with those around them. It really helps us grow and it means a lot to us. I also mentioned some different locations, so make sure you follow us on Instagram to see maps of the areas we've discussed and other photos related to the case. We're on Instagram at Dark Adaptation Podcast. And while you're there, you can message us if you want to. You can send us over some case suggestions. You can just say hi, whatever you want. Case suggestions, we love them. And next week's episode will actually be a case that was suggested to us by one of our listeners, so... Be sure to check us out again next week. Thank you for tuning in. And we'll catch you on the dark side. Bye. <laughs>